0: And if you haven't, wasn't able to be here on Wednesday night, you need to go online and, and get involved in that and get caught up because we're going to start this morning where we ended on Wednesday night. Is that all right? Amen. Now, if you're working uh, and or got things going on that it's hard for you and you can't be here on Wednesday night, that's understandable. If you're lazy, you're sorry. Amen. And you need to be up in here on Wednesday night to hear the word of the Lord and just get a little faith injection to push you on over the hump, right? Amen. I thought I'd throw that in there just for good measure. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 9. 2 Kings 2 verse number 9 and 10. And the Bible said, and so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then I don't know if I'll get here or not, but I'll read it just in case. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of His, the highest shall overshadow you, Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, her, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. Somebody say old age. old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Amen. Uh, Elijah said to Elisha, ask me what you will. He said, I want a double portion of what you have. He said, you've asked a hard thing, not an impossible thing, but a hard thing. And he said, nevertheless, if you'll follow me, you'll get it. And then he tells us here in Luke's gospel that with God, nothing is impossible. Amen. Amen. Elijah comes on the scene uh, without really any introduction. He is not, uh, he, there is no genealogy, there is no history of Elijah in First Kings 17 is the first mention of him. And it just says now Elijah, the Tishbite, right? And we don't have a family history, we don't have a background, he just shows up. And the first thing that he says is to Ahab, is it shall not rain, but according to my word. Elijah is sought out by people because they know he has some kind of anointing on him. That they understand that he has some kind of connection with God. That, that when he begins to speak, things begin to happen. Amen. Elijah. Eli means God. And uh, the job ja means father. Amen. It's a compound name. Eli, God. Jah is father, so he is saying, God is my father, is what his name is. Amen. And this man has gone got it going on. He shuts up the heavens on you, and if you push on him, he'll call down fire and burn you up. Amen. Now, you say, well, that don't sound too good, but I I, I know that. But it's the kind of power that he had. It's what he was working with. His anointing was just a bit confrontational. (laughs) He, he, he had an anointing that caused things to begin to move and things to begin to shift. It wasn't okay with him that Ahab and Jezebel were running the, the, the nation. It wasn't okay with him that things were being controlled by Jezebel and this spirit. And he had a spirit of God on him that believed that things could and should be different. And so he rises up in that anointing and that's where we left off on Wednesday night. He rides up on that anointing. He, he confronts these individuals and, and, uh, There on the mountain, he sees all of the miracle and the power of God. The fire begins to fall. It consumes the sacrifice, licks up the water and the dust that are in the trenches. And then the Bible says that Elijah has this down moment. He has this time when he feels depressed. He feels as though that he's the only one. It's a bad place to be when you feel like you're the only one working for God. When you think that your faith has no outlet, right? When someone would uh, talk like this, he said, I'm the only one left. Most of the time, whenever somebody was to talk like that, we would suggest or think that they were walking in pride, like as if I'm the only one serving God. I'm the only one that that is praying and there is nobody else, but when, when... what really was taking place here, perhaps, if you will, just to give me a little leeway, perhaps what Elijah was saying is, I don't have any outlet for my faith. There is nobody that wants to receive my faith. There's no place for my faith to attach itself, right? And so he's speaking here and God begins to talk to him and says, look, Elijah, I know that you're in a a bad place but I want you to know I have people that are worshipping me just like you're worshipping me you just don't know them you're not connected to them and yes your faith doesn't have a place to go because you're not connected with them but he said I, I want you to know that there are many people that have not bowed their knees to Baal and they are not serving them but they are serving me and he said in fact I want you to anoint three of them for me I want you to go and anoint Gehazi I want you to anoint and then he began to look in on Elisha and he said and focused on Elisha and he said I want you to anoint Elisha and so Elisha goes and and Elisha goes and he finds him and and when he finds him he's Elijah he's working he's plowing right are you walking with me You have your spiritual perception on today? That's all right. I'm going to preach. Elijah, what Elijah was out there and he finds Elisha and he is plowing in the field. He's working, right? He's doing something. A lot of people are wanting to say, well, nobody will use me. Nobody wants me. Nobody will let me do anything. You got to do something, baby, before people will seek you out. Amen. You gotta be plowing in the field when nobody's watching. You gotta be faithful in the kingdom when nobody's looking. And that's what when Elijah Elijah went and found Elisha, he was plowing in the field and when when Elisha perceived in his spirit that this is my moment of opportunity. Can I tell you that you've got to have perception and understand that moments of opportunity don't come around every day. And so you have to have your spiritual sensitivity your spiritual antenna up and say this is my opportunity and elisha never mixed words he said let me go kiss my mom and daddy tell them goodbye he burnt the plow he got rid of the oxen and he followed after this man of god because he said this is my opportunity to fulfill my purpose in god amen And from that moment on, Elisha knew that this is his opportunity, left everything he knew and became mentored and become the servant of Elijah. Amen. He pours water on the hands of Elijah. Elisha understood that if I'm going to have this kind of anointing upon my life, then I've got to make an investment in this anointing. I wish this generation would understand that. A lot of folk want it, but they don't want to pay the price for it. A lot of folk want to walk in the anointing and and flow in the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God. But there aren't too many people that want to pour water on the hands of the man of God or the woman of God. But I want to tell you, if you want the anointing of God upon your life, you've got to learn how to serve. Because he who is that one that serves, you've got to learn how to serve before you can learn how to lead and if you learn how to serve then God will do season will raise you up, amen Elisha was pouring hand, water on the hands of Elijah but there was a day coming when Elijah was going to go on but this multi-generational blessing was going to continue to flow and guess what, it wasn't going to fall over there at the school of the prophets, it was going to fall upon a man that would not give up on him, that would walk with him everywhere he went and the anointing of the Lord would rest upon his life. Amen. As you read the Bible, you will find out that the anointing flows from one generation to another. And it's not because it's not the next one in line that gets it, but it's the one who is servant that receives the anointing. God was getting ready to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. (laughs) It's not God's will that anybody go out, fading out, wearing out, or rusting out. All of us should go out in a whirlwind. Come on, somebody. All of us should go out in a whirlwind. And Elijah, the day came when God was ready for Elijah. He didn't get sick with cancer. He didn't have infirmity and disease. God said, your time is up. You've run your race, and I'm ready for you. Just come on up here, buddy. Amen. And he went out in a whirlwind. And now they come to this place called Jordan that Elijah had taken his mantle and he had parted the waters before and they crossed on dry ground. And so now Elijah is taken and Elisha comes and he says, what do you, before he left, he said, what do you want from me? And he said, I want the anointing that you've got and I want my own anointing too. In other words, I want a double portion anointing. The anointing is not supposed to stop and start with every generation. I know that some folk have this idea or mentality, I got mine, you get yours. Amen. But I want to tell you that every generation ought to supersede the previous generation in doing the works and the miracles and the blessing of God in the earth because every generation past ought to supersede the anointing. They ought not just carry the anointing for their generation but there should be an anointing handed down to them. Amen. That they don't start at plan B plowing in the field again or or ground day Plow in the field again, but they take a hold of the mantle that has been released upon their life where that they can go and do what other generations could not do. Amen. You see, it's an indictment against us if we just hold the fort. It's an indictment against us if we just maintain, if we don't do anything. In fact, if we are even falling behind in some generations, we ought to be doing signs and wonders and miracles today. Amen, we ought to see the manifest presence of God like no other generation that preceded us because there is an overflow of the anointing from generation to generation. The anointing is supposed to have a continual flow, a continual from generation to generation. Sister Renee mentioned earlier, one generation shall praise his works. To the next generation. When there is an unbroken flow of the anointing from one generation to the next generation, there is a double miracles in the next generation. There should be double signs and wonders. Amen. Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing, not an impossible thing, but a hard thing. The reason that it's hard is because the generation that was working hard and building and calling down fire had a different relationship in the world than the generation that was coming behind it. Elijah was a, as I said, he was a fire calling down somebody. You get him upset and buddy, he was like Peter. He had a hot head. He'd just fire zap and you were done. Is anybody thankful for grace today? (laughs) Amen. He was, he was working this thing. He was tearing down some barriers He he was taking out some strongholds. He was dealing with some things in his generation that Elisha would not have to deal with. Amen? And he said, it's a hard thing, you have asked me, for my anointing because you're in a different generation. You are going to be doing something different, Elisha, than what I have been doing. Amen. In the world, there there is generational gaps, right? In the '60s, if you ask somebody the generational gap between the '60s and '70s, it would be probably uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Whenever you look at this generation and ask this generation what is the generational gap, I, I'm certain that it would be technology. One generation don't understand the the technology that this generation understands. But the kingdom of God should not have generational gaps. The kingdom of God, amen, should not have generational gaps. What are you saying, pastor? I looked for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge that there be no breaches in the wall. Amen. So that the next generation doesn't have to start and begin again at ground level. But this generation hands off the baton without missing a beat and they run on the race of faithfulness and they begin to do greater things than previous generations ever done. Amen. They should receive something from you. I said, the next generation coming behind us should receive something from us. They receive Elijah, Elisha received by, by observation. He learned from watching Elijah. Other things he learned by instruction. Elijah would talk to Elisha and say, this is a way to do a thing. Amen. Other things he learned by impartation. Some things you cannot teach, you've got to catch. Amen. But the activation could not come until there was a desire in the heart of Elisha. Elijah could not activate what he was giving to Elisha until there was a heart in Elisha that said, I want this thing more than life I want to fulfill my purpose I want to fulfill God's plan for my life and whenever he did everything that had been imparted to him everything that had been taught him everything that he learned by instruction was activated in his life for this double portion anointing to rest upon his life for this generation amen there is an Elijah generation and there is an Elisha generation. There is a Mary and there is an Elizabeth. There is a John and there is a Jesus. There is always a generation that is coming. There is a generation that is living. And there is also a generation that is fading. There is a generation, no matter where you are, there is always someone that is ahead of you. There is someone that is beside you and there is someone that is coming up from behind you. And all of these generations must work together to fulfill the purpose of God in the earth. I said we must work together. And I said it Wednesday night. That's the reason why hell has fought generations from coming together. Amen. They don't, hell knows that when generations start coming together, there's going to be a blessing that the enemy cannot stop. And so he wants us to fight over frivolous things that have no meaning that have no spiritual significance. Generations will fight one another over music. They'll fight one another over style. They'll fight one another over their preferences, but preferences really don't mean anything. It's about the kingdom of God, and we've got to put our preferences aside, and we've got to come together and say, my preference in song might not be your preference in song, and my style may not be your style, but we're not here for that. We're here to to bless the kingdom of God and promote the kingdom of God and so we're just going to come together and we're going to believe that the anointing of God is going to rest upon us as a multi generation comes together and we're going to do everything God called us to do. We're going to expose darkness. We're going to heal the sick. We're going to set the captive free. We're going to pray in the spirit and bring down strongholds and the kingdom of God will be advanced in the earth. Oh, Somebody praise him today. When Elijah said, it's taken up, the Bible said his mantle fell on Elisha. And he goes back to that same Jordan River and said, I'm going to test this thing out while nobody's watching. (laughs) Huh? I'm going to see if I got it. And he knew that when Elijah took that mantle and smoked the waters, that the waters rolled back and they crossed over on dry ground. And so now he's got the mantle and he says, I want to see if I've got it. And he goes back to that same river. He, He takes it off of his shoulder and strikes the water and says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the Bible said that the waters rolled back. And he walked over on the other side and said, I know I got it now. And he walked on over by the school of the prophets. I'm not I'm not against education. I believe you ought to get you some education. Come on. Get all you can and can all you can get. Amen. But here is the fact. They didn't want to pay the price for the anointing. Get all the education that you can get, but you still got to have the anointing. And he walks past the school of the prophets and the school of the prophets. When they went there, they said, well, well, God has has taken away your man. He's taken away your mentor. And they have this bright idea. Maybe we should go look for him. And Elisha says, you can go look for him if you want. I have seen where he went. But that wasn't good enough for them. (laughs) That's Matthew's translation. That wasn't good enough for them. So they sent 50 men, right? And they searched three days for him. And they said, it must be like Elijah said, because we can't find him anywhere. Amen. And watch this. Elijah starts his miracles where Elijah left off. He goes and parts the waters that Elijah parted, and then he goes on and heals the waters in verse 22. In Second Kings chapter 2, in verse 22, there may be a verse 20, 21, he takes the salt, right, and he pours it into the water, and he heals the waters. Amen. And so the waters remain healed, verse 22 said, until this day according to the word of Elisha. And then there's this weird scripture. Have you ever read weird weird scriptures? There's this weird scripture that pops up. Then he went from there to Bethel, and as he was going on the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And so he turned around and he looked at them and he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. Hallelujah. Elisha was anointed to do something to bring healing. But there was some of that residue of that anointing that poured over from Elijah that got on him. And whenever this other generation mocked him, he said, go up you bald head, go up, go up. He wasn't talking about bald headed like no hair on your head. That's not what the old English meant. The old English meant white-headed. You don't believe me. We have a bald eagle. And it's got feathers on its head. The old English word for bald head did not mean slick-headed. It meant white-headed. It meant maturity. It was a display of... to, to respect and to honor because this old English word meant that so that you understood that this was a generation that was white headed and so when they came and Elisha came here and they said to him go up, go up you white headed what he was saying is go up you old man go ahead and die get out of our way we don't need you It's quiet here. So what they were saying is, we don't need you, this younger generation. Now, this is the only thing that I can come up with. I can't explain to you why that God would allow them, you know, grace, of course, but I can't explain to you why that God would answer the prayer of Elijah and he would send out these bears and maul 42 kids. I mean, that's against What I think about God. Right? Y'all walking with me today? But this is what I do believe. I believe that God understood that this generation that was coming up was getting so far away. And so rebellious. And so disrespectful. That even though it was hard to see 42 children die. It was better that the 42 perish and save a generation than it was for the whole generation to continue down this road of disrespect and rebellion. And so therefore, he had something very harsh had to take place to give the mind of this generation and turn it around till they begin to respect and honor their elders like they were supposed to do. Now, how many know that that, that'll get your attention? I know it got this generation's attention because you never hear again where that kind of disrespect rose up. I'm sure somebody mumbled something against one of the other elders and and somebody else said, you better shut your mouth because there's some bears up in here somewhere. And haven't you heard (laughs) what happened the last time folk were disrespectful to their elders, right? And so they, they realize that and they begin to, to come into alignment and they no longer uh, mocked another generation. We can't ha- be having one generation mocking another generation because we need each other to keep this blessing flowing in the earth. Come on, put your hands together and understand we need each other. I said we need each other. And we need to come back to a place of respect and honor for previous generations because you don't know what they've been through. Amen. So Elijah says, I might be old, but let me show you what I can do. I may not be able to keep up with you, But I've still got some spiritual authority. And I don't have to run. I don't have to show myself. I I just know what I've got. And he speaks the word and those bears come out and devoured that disrespectful generation. I know it seems harsh, but these bears took out those so that there would be an understanding. It's important that you line up with the generation ahead of you so that you can receive this generational blessing. So be careful about mocking another generation because they might still have some power that you just don't know about. Amen. You see, the older you get, the less you have to display your power to impress everyone. Whenever you're young, little kid, you fight over all day over a ball. Now, there'll be three other balls in the room, but you fighting over that one. Huh? But whenever you get a little older, you don't have the energy you used to have. Come on, somebody. You don't have all that strength that you once did, and and so you you save it up for when it counts. You don't have to show everybody what all you got, but whenever it counts, you save that energy for something that's worth fighting for. You'd save that energy for something that's worth it. And, and you've got to understand there may be some from a previous generation that are white headed, but they still can get a prayer through amen they may be old but they know how to tear a hole in the heavens because they've done it before and they're still able to do it now amen they were there fasting and praying food into their house amen they know what it is to move a mountain and break strongholds they know how to fight amen with their spirit and they can bring some things down and you see we, it, it hasn't always been like this Somebody had to fight for what we've got now. Somebody had to war in the spirit. Amen. They weren't there when Elijah endured the pressure of Abraham, Ahab and Jezebel. They weren't there when he was facing the prophets of Baal by their self. They weren't there when Elijah was fighting through a wall of depression and felt like that there was nobody else on his team and that he didn't have anybody to extend his faith to. Amen. They just came up out of a generation that understood that we've got it like we've got it now but they never knew the price had been paid that he fought through depression he fought through demonic spirits he fought through all of Baal's servants that they could come to this place now that they could experience the blessing and the favor of God upon their life Amen You have to be careful when you see someone and not Assume they have always had it as good as they do right now. Amen. My kids don't know what it's like to eat beef stew and rice when that's all you got. Amen. They weren't there. Whenever I was we was riding around in a car that had the floorboard out of it. And I got me a stop sign and put down there. I didn't steal it, it's laying on the side of the road. When it was raining. I'd go to a meeting one day. Whenever I decided I need to do something about it, I was going to a meeting and, and, the, and hit a mud hole and the mud come up there and splashed all over my suit. You, you can't be cool like that. I said, we got to do something about that. And I, God gave me that stop sign. And I put it in that floorboard. They, they weren't there. They don't know nothing about that. They don't know nothing about riding around in a car that don't have no air conditioning turning down the window with some vice grips. They don't know nothing about that. All they know is get in that car of luxury and ride around in the air condition and fuss if it ain't on fast enough. They don't know nothing about that. Huh? I know whenever we was here in our first pastorate and, and I remember we... we our meal on Sunday night was, was beef stew and rice every Sunday night. And Renee and I we thought it was a big deal whenever we got to go out, out on Sunday night and get us a hot dog at Dairy Queen. We was I had arrived, man. Amen. They don't know nothing about that. But they need to know. They need to know somebody paid a price. And it hasn't always been the way that it is right now. I haven't told you that to say, oh, poor pastor. No, I'm blessed. I'm just telling you it ain't always been as blessed as I am right now. I'm just on my way. Come on. And some of you I know you you've dealt with the same things your kids don't understand what it was to you know live in a in a two or three room house and get you an apartment and trying to pay the bills and trying to make everything happen and, and maybe they don't understand it and they don't appreciate it but it's the same way in the spirit amen we, we aren't we haven't arrived yet but we've come a mighty long ways baby amen and I want to tell you today that we have to continue to speak to this generation and tell them how good. God really has been to us. And tell him, son, I don't ever expect you to have to go to the, the cabinet and only have uh, beef stew and rice in it. But let me tell you how God provided for me and your mama when we needed it. Praise God. And let me tell you that God will supply your need and tell my children that God will provide for you. Praise God. You see, they need to know that. Whenever I was raised up in the church, every, everyone hasn't been blessed to be raised up in a church like we've got here now. Amen. Everyone wasn't raised up. They didn't grow up where everyone in the church was included. Huh? Come on. Some of you saints help me instead of looking at me. It ain't never been like this all the time. Right, Jimmy? I mean, they'd put you in the cell... I mean, the basement. As a kid. And we didn't have no children's church. It was watching you. And we'd have some flannel graph Jesuses. And they put that flannel graph Jesus up there. And then after a few times, you know, of using that flannel graph, it would tear apart. And so... And and Jesus' head come off. And so now instead of having Jesus, we'd have David. And we'd have to remember when he was Jesus and when he was David. And then student ministry was your parents. You sat in front of them in the church service. And if you acted up, don't you even dare bring no gum up in there. And if you acted up, their ministry was to pop you in the back of the head as hard as you can to your head and get to jerking. And that was only the sign that your honey was going to hurt when you got out of that building. Ain't nobody helping me this morning. That's how we grew up. It ain't always been having 70 kids back in ministry and and teaching them on a level they can understand and comprehend and having a student ministry to to preach the gospel on their level so they can engage in ministry and have the, have that same opportunity to come up in here and worship God through Jama and through media and through different diverse ways of ministry that reaches different generations. There wasn't all of that before, but thank God we're up in a church today that understands it takes all kinds of ministry to reach generations. see. This generation that's gone up before us and that one that is yet ahead of us today, even in the absence of great glory, in the middle of hardship, in the middle of struggles, in the middle of not having jobs, they learn how to stand and press through some things. Amen. We need uh, to hand down to this next generation some things. Some things need to be passed on to this next generation. We we need a passing on of something like like commitment we need to uh, the generation ahead of us to pass down how do you stay committed when it's not fun anymore how do you stay committed how do you stay faithful when, when all of the joy is gone out of it how do you stand when you don't feel like standing how, how do you, how do you learn how to pray whenever there, the glory isn't filling the house, but all you feel is the atmosphere of the enemy that has surrounded you. But you don't just sit there and complain and say, Oh, now I don't know what we're going to do. That, that generation went to warring in the spirit and tore open the heavens and began to declare the kingdom of God is coming and the will of God will be established in my life and in this generation we need that handed down to this generation how did you do it this is what's going on in this upcoming generation they had no respect and they had no concept that Elisha was carrying a double portion anointing. You don't talk to people like that that are carrying an anointing. You don't disrespect the men and the women of God that have an anointing upon their lives. You have to be careful not to allow dishonor and disrespect and, and condemnation to come out of your mouth because it will cause danger to come into your direction. I was taught you didn't criticize somebody until you did it better than they did it. If you ain't never built no house, keep your mouth shut. Huh? If you ain't never done a thing, don't be telling somebody else how they ought to be doing it. Come on. You see, The culture of our day has led us to believe that you can become something without doing anything. I'm trying to help you. We see all this stuff on TV. How much of TV can you believe? I seen, you know, it still amazes me that... Every once in a while, you, you flip through and you see, and, and I asked Renee, and I may have shared this before, but I flip through there and I'm watching this. It's the um, uh, Kardashians, right? And I said, what what they on TV for? They don't have no talent. They don't have no skill. Huh? And we've raised up a generation that expects... To receive everything without doing anything. The generation before us was called the builders. How how they had great work ethic. They they when they committed to something, they committed to getting it done. They didn't they didn't commit to something and say, "I'll do it if it don't get hard." They didn't commit to something and say, "Well, I know that I committed to it, but but I didn't know it was going to be this tough." No, they committed to something and no matter what happened, they saw it through. They were builders. They built our banks. They built our schools. They built our churches. Amen. And when they become a part of the church and said, I'm committed to the church, baby, you could, pl- believe, you could believe they were there. They were planted in the church and you didn't have to go looking for them. You didn't have to wonder where they were. They would be up in the house of God and be a part of what was going on. It wasn't just a Sunday thing. They were there for prayer service. They were there to seek God. God. They were there to help the brother and the sister. They were there because they were committed to the ministry, committed to the church. They didn't, they didn't let go of something because it became uncomfortable. When you become a part of the church, you need to be a part of the church. Amen. When you're planted, it teaches you some things that you don't get just by moving around and getting when, whenever you get uncomfortable. I'm pastoring better than you're letting on today. Uh, one one great thing that greatest things that hurts discipleship is choices. You could help people a whole lot today if you could dis- disciple them much stronger. But whenever you bring correction to someone today, instead of them being corrected or submit to that, they'll just pull up and go somewhere else. And when you do that, you hinder your own spiritual maturity because you're not being planted. You can't expect a tomato plant to plant it here today, pull it up, plant it over here in two days, and plant it over there in a week, and expect that thing to produce anything for you. You've got to let it stay where it is, water it, mature it, prune it every once in a while, and when you do, it'll take root into that soil, and it will begin to grow and produce fruit. This generation is now coming that is bringing creativity and fresh energy. I know you say, well, you're being harsh on this generation. No, I'm trying to bring balance to it. We need each other. Look at your neighbor and tell them we need each other. This generation brings creative ideas. It brings fresh energy. The downside to commitment is that you can get in something for 50 years, something you hate, and because you've learned how to settle, now you're just going through the motions and you're not using your faith for anything. Amen. And so there has to be balance in it. Those bears came out and killed 42 kids. Speak to the genealogy of Christ. And it was for, and from Abraham to David was 14 generations from David to the carrying away of Babylon was 14 generations from Babylon to Christ was 14 generations. That's 42 generations. And there is a space of time between Adam and and Christ. And it takes 42 generations for the anointing to show back up. How many generations do we have to lose? How many are we willing to sacrifice until we'll say, hey, we need each other so the anointing can show back up in our churches? question is, how many are we willing to lose because we're not willing to work together? How long are we going to argue over things that don't count? The previous generation have worked hard and faithful and committed, but they don't want nothing to change. We don't want... Music to change. We don't want hairstyles to change. We don't want clothes. You you ought not be identified in your decade by what you're wearing today. You get that on the way home. As a parent, you want to protect your kids, don't you? Come on. You want to protect your kids. I want to take mine and put them in a Ziploc bag and put them in the freezer and say, when you turn 30, I'm going to let you out. Because whenever I look around this world, I see changes that are taking place that aren't always good, that are difficult to deal with. But i got to trust God that he's going to take care of them. That he's going to provide for them. Because you see in my own selfish way. I want to guard them and protect them. And and make sure nothing harms them or hurts them. And you have that desire. But you see I want to tell you. I I can't do that right? Y'all ain't going to help me all day are you? I said we can't do that. But what I can do is put something in them. I can tell them the goodness of God. I can tell them that God is for you and not against you I can tell them greater is he that is in you than the world that comes against you I can teach them how to pray I can teach them that you don't have to run, amen but you can stay planted and founded in the word of God and when you've done all that you know to do just stand in the word by night in the house of the Lord, be found worshiping God, plant your self that Put your feet in the ground and tell the devil, devil, you aren't going to take me down because God in me is greater than all that you can bring against me. Stand in his word and when you've done everything you know to do, call on the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus principalities will back up, hell will shut up and the blessing of God will be released over your life. Hallelujah, because I cannot hold them back but I can pour into them and say you don't have to worry son you don't have to worry daughter the God that took care of your great grandfather the God that took care of your grandfather and your daddy is the same God that's going to take care of you no matter hell or high water the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and he will provide for you just remain faithful to him Why is this generation being attacked so hard? We can sit around and point fingers all we want to, but that's not going to help the next generation. I said, that's not going to help the next generation. We've got to pour into them. Why is it the enemy's fighting them so hard? Because when, a, when you watch Elisha, he's going to do two times the miracles that Elijah did. Elisha now has a double portion and he has that same anointing that Elijah did, but he is in a a different season of his life, so he uses it in a different way. With this one exception, where he calls out the bears. Elisha is bringing healing. He's healing the waters. He's healing people. Elijah is, is, is was uh, you know uh, in a different season than Elijah was in. Elijah was anointed to plow. He was anointed to tear down strongholds and call down fire and tear a hole in the wall so that there would be a gap where the kingdom of God could be established. And so now Elijah has that kind of anointing. But here comes Elisha and says, I'm going to bring healing to this thing. I'm gonna heal the waters. I'm gonna bring healing and hope. Praise God. When you're called to bring order, sometimes you, you, and you, you have to build. Sometimes you have to tear down and pluck up. And sometimes you, you make some enemies you don't mean to be making. Come on. Sometimes whenever you're putting things in order and bringing structure to a thing, you get get on to some people's nerves that you don't mean to get on, but it's just got to be done. But the next generation comes up and they don't have to fight those fights. They don't have to deal with that same stuff. Amen. They're a generation that can live under the open heaven or the blessing of the previous generation fought for. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is is that you can't get upset with the next generation enjoying what you have enjoyed and not have to pay for it. The good thing about that is the next generation brings healing. To some of the previous generation's hurts and pains. They don't have to fight that battle. David did the fighting so Solomon could do the building. David fought a lion, he fought a bear, (laughs) he fought Goliath, he fought the Philistines. He fought Saul. David fought all of those battles so Solomon would not have to. Now Solomon finds himself in a place because David was willing to fight where he is rich beyond measure. And the Bible says, and God hath given him rest on every side. That's what Solomon enjoyed, but he did not enjoy it because that, that, that he paid the price. He enjoyed it because his father a previous generation had paid the price. And David was such a worshiper and a warrior that people knew you don't mess with David. Amen. He'll come out there with a slingshot and take you out. Amen. And whenever he takes you out, he ain't going to stop there, but he's going to go after your brothers Amen. He's going to take them out. Don't think that you can slip behind David and cause fear to come into his heart. You can burn his city to the ground, but don't think you're going to cause him to lose heart and give up. He's going to come after you. He's going to put pressure on you. He's going to overtake and he's going to recover all. Amen. He's going to take Zion. He's going to take Jerusalem. He's going to take the land of the Philistines. He will drive them out because that's what God's put on him to do. He's an anointed warrior so that another generation can walk in a spirit of peace. I want to tell you today every generation has a part to play so the kingdom of God can be advanced in the earth. David did all of that so Solomon's generation would not have to fight but could build the tabernacle of God and enjoy the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. When it came time to build, David said, this is all I've done, man. There's too much blood on my hands. I can't build this temple to God. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll fight so my son Solomon can build it. I'll gather all the resources. I'll clear the land. I'll make a vacuum. I'll make a space for him in the spirit realm so he can just come in and enjoy the glory of God. Those in the first half of this century who believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, who prayed in tongues, were said to be out of their minds. They were the outcast. They were called Holy Rollers. They were looked down on. They were pushed out of the cities. Amen. They had met in on the outside or the other side of the tracks. They met, had to meet in tents. They met in rundown buildings, but someone had to fight through it so this generation could be in a building like we're in today. Amen somebody was willing to pay the price somebody was ready to carry the ridicule somebody was ready to endure the condemnation so we could don't have to go on the back side of the tracks or up in a, some kind of gutter alley but we could come right up here in the middle of the street build a temple unto God and say we're proud to be the children of the most high God hallelujah they were willing to pay the price amen they'd go to worship and they'd build Build, build, in, build in those buildings and they didn't have any heat in the winter and they didn't have air conditioning in the summer. Amen. They didn't have no padded pews. They didn't have uh, all of the luxury that we have today. They didn't have the sight and the sound. They didn't have the media, but they weren't there for all of that. They believed that there was a power that was yet to be released and they were willing to plow the ground until they could get to where there would be a move of God, where there would be an open heaven where the earth could experience the glory of a manifest Christ. I want to tell you, they were tearing down walls. They were taking those Goliaths and they said, we'll kill you so our next generation don't have to deal with you. And they swept in and shift, took place, and the glory of God, even in history, they say one of the greatest things that shaped, amen, the last society or last generation was the move of Azusa Street where the power of the Holy Spirit Spirit came and fell upon a man, a one-eyed black man, a man who was uneducated and illiterate, but believed that there was a power. He was an ex-slave, but he believed that there was a power of God that was yet to be experienced. And he said, I'm ready to take the ridicule. You can mock me. You can laugh at me, but I'm going to plow this thing through because there's a power to be released into this generation. And they would go into substandard buildings. They would go with Without children's ministry, they would go without light and sound, but they knew how to get a hold of God and they would bring the glory of heaven into the earth. Oh, somebody, thank God for a generation that was willing to pay the price. Everything didn't have to be just right for them. They weren't complaining because it was too hot. They weren't complaining because it was too cold. They weren't complaining because the sound was too loud or didn't have enough of it. They weren't there for themselves. They were there to tear a hole in the heavens and see the kingdom of God come into the earth. If they did it then, I said, if they did it then, you and I can do it now. I said, you and I can do it now. We've been blessed. Amen. We've been blessed with a beautiful facility. We've been blessed with padded pews. We've been blessed with lights and sound and worship and song and media and all kinds of things. What's our excuse? I tell you today that we have something to do in this generation and it's not just to sit around, twiddle our thumbs and say hold the fort till he comes but it is that the kingdom of God will be experienced in this generation. Amen. So the next generation will know the power of God. If that Jesus raised up Lazarus from the dead he can raise us up and we can be quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. You see, that generation knew how to fight. (laughs) Oh yeah, they'd fight you. I told some folks, if our great grandfathers were alive, they wouldn't put up with this mess in Washington. (laughs) I'm not anti-government, I'm just telling you. They'd, they'd be get a Popeye spirit and say, I done studs all I can stands and we're going to change this thing. Because they had a fight on them. Right? They didn't back up to nobody or nothing. They knew what they believed. Now, now the difference was, is in this generation, we can explain God to you, but we don't know God. We can tell you all you want to know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of God, but there ain't nobody operating in it. That generation didn't know how to explain theology to you, but they sure enough could get a hold of God. They couldn't explain to you the baptism of the Holy Spirit in theology, but they sure operated in it. Amen. Amen. And what I want to say is that, that, that at the same time, they had a militant spirit about them. <laughs> Their songs were militant. Like, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. Yes. Y'all didn't know I knew that, did you? They'd have songs like, keep on the firing line. Because they had a militant spirit on them that said, if you're going to stand in our way of the kingdom of God coming into the earth, you're going to have to either change or we're going to take you out. I wish I had somebody knew what I'm talking about. The old church would fight you over anything. They'd fight you over your hair. They'd fight you over the length of your sleeves, they'd fight you, get your dress, how long your dress was, they'd fight you over makeup, they'd fight you over watching TV. I don't guess I got anybody raised up in the church. I had one guy he told me I was going to preach for him, and he and and I had on some short sleeves, and and he and I, was, you know, at that time you always had to wear your coat and a tie, and I was going to put my coat and tie on, and he looked at me and he said, "You're going to church in that?" I said, yeah, "I plan on it." It's, you know, it's summertime, and uh, and he said, "Well, I'd rather you not wear that." He said that you know it might cause somebody lust, and I'm thinking if somebody lust over my elbows. fights you over things that really didn't have no eternal value now, understand this it wasn't it, they, they did it meaning well there were some mistakes and there were some errors but I want to stand here today and thank a previous generation for being willing to fight that I could stand in a place like this today and preach the gospel I'm glad somebody was on the battlefield. I'm glad somebody was willing to stand up and fight the devil for this generation and say, devil, you're not going to have this generation. We're going to speak over this generation and they are going to rise and they're going to live and they're going to proclaim the goodness of God. Is anybody else thankful? I said, is anybody thankful today? Hallelujah. I'm not done but I'm going to stop I told you I didn't think I'd get to Luke 1 unless you've got another hour I didn't think I'd get any amens (laughs) can you take it you say well pastor you're being awful harsh no I'm not being harsh I want you to understand generational differences should not stop us our, pre- our preferences should not become our prejudice because it separates us and anytime it separates generations it stops the flow of the blessing from coming and we need each other we need some warriors that still stand up and say bless God pastor I'll stand I'll fight huh We need some folk like Peter in the church to say, I'll pull my sword. You don't mess with Huh? And we need some other folks with some mercy and grace to balance it out. Another generation that says, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pete. (laughs) Don't cut his ear off. Let's give him a little grace here. Let's give him a little mercy here. Let's bring some healing to this situation. And when we come together, we create an environment. And I I hope you'll stick with me. And I hope that you'll be a part of these messages because God is doing something wonderful at the tabernacle.